Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show, that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Soon, hopefully again, to be joined by my husband and business partner, Kirk Reed, but flying solo here for a minute. Um, we are talking about year-end type stuff. I know there's been a lot of people that want to put 2020 behind them. Uh, so we are talking about wrapping up 2020 and tossing it aside. Um, I, for one, you know, I think I'm a little bit of an anomaly, but I, I think I've realized during 2020 that I'm a total homebody and I don't mind quarantine at all. <laughs> and I was happy to not have a whole lot to do. I think life was just uh, a little too busy prior to COVID and, um, you know, of course, health concerns aside, um, I, I didn't mind, you know, just hanging out at home with the kids and the dogs and, and, um, and, and you love homeschooling. Oh my goodness. I it's haven't, favorite. it's getting old. I, I have enjoyed it a little bit. Like I, you know, I love numbers of course. And, and I've enjoyed doing fifth grade math with our, with our oldest daughter and, um, I guess it's it, just yesterday I was saying to Kirk that, all right, it's getting a little bit, it, it's, it's getting a little old. <laughs> 
but um, you know, we'll make it work as long as we have to. And guess, uh, guess what? Guess what? You'll probably get to do sixth grade math too. <laughs> no, I was just hearing the vaccine is rolling out to market. So <laughs> maybe just fifth grade math for the rest of this year. And then, and then we should hopefully be back to normal schooling for next year. I would hope uh, for our oldest daughter's sake, I hope so. And, and actually she's really sad that she's potentially missing her last year at um, elementary school. And, but hopefully she can start fresh in middle school in this relatively normal way. Um. But yes, so we're talking about um, year-end revisit your finances type stuff. Just, you know, cup, we're just trying to give people a few things to think about. If you can do one or two of these things to better your financial situation, that's awesome. Um, and I, so again, I, 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 Kirk and I try pretty hard not to be too, you know, salesy on the show and, 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 uh, uh, be too high on ourselves, but I just think what your conversation, uh, your, your story about that person you recently spoke to about them going to cash before, um, the election, which I, which I think was not uncommon. I, you know, that, that there was a lot of people that were nervous about what the markets were going to do after, excuse me, before the election, they were, they were nervous about what the election would do to the markets, especially after the markets had recovered from the downturn earlier this year and people wanting to, um, you know, be, be switched to extreme preservation mode. But, but that example where you had someone who was not a client, you had a sort of a transactional relationship with them in the past and they weren't an official client. You didn't have an ongoing relationship with them. I think what happened was, you know, like I said before the break, if they had been a client, they would have picked up the phone and called you and said, I'm nervous. What do I do? I want to go to cash. And you would have at least had an opportunity to talk it out with them, give them perspectives, some things to think about, educate them on what that meant and give them some historical information about what markets have done and all that stuff. You would have at least had an opportunity to, you know, recommend to them to not do that. And, and, and time in the markets is your greatest natural advantage, right? And time in the markets is a fool's errand. And that's just a good example of where timing the markets didn't work. They thought it was going to go down significantly. It didn't, it went up and I just pulled some quick numbers. So let's think of someone who went to cash right before the election, for example. Actually, what was the date of the election? The 7th or the 4th or something? I just did November 1st. Uh, so the, like, It was the 3rd, I think. The 3rd, okay. So I did, um, uh, was November 1st even a weekday? <laughs> I just ran a quick... The first Tuesday first. after the first Monday. Yeah, so, okay. So the 1st was actually a weekend. That was terrible. Okay, so what I did was I um, assumed, I pulled a quick... Uh, report of what the markets did. I pulled November 1st to December. Uh, oh my goodness. Where are we? I pulled November 1st through December 11th. So um, November 1st was a weekend. So it would be the Friday before that, which I guess was what? 1030. So um, what I'm modeling is someone went to cash before the election and they're still in cash and they kind of don't know what to do, which I, which is exactly the situation you were just describing. So I, I just pulled a quick report of what did the markets do in that period of time? And hold on, let me find it. Hold on, hold on, stop. 
Hold the phone. Here we are. Okay. So basically 10, 30 of 20 to 12, 11 through 12, 11 of 20. So someone that, again, cash right before the election because they were nervous um, and uh, still in cash, not sure what to do. The U.S. market in that period of time, I almost feel like I'm hallucinating. My report is showing that the the U.S. market in that period of time is up 12.3%. Uh, yeah, it's possible, I guess. It, it, it is, I, maybe you can quickly run it on um, Y charts to see if that's right, but I, I the performance reporting stuff... I'm sitting, here, I'm, I'm, sitting, I'm sitting here without my phone for some reason. And like, I feel like I don't have access to anything, you know, without my, I, yes, I, I realize I have a computer, oh. phone, but without my phone, like I, it's so, that's how I like just get everything. I can be. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh, I see what you mean. You would pull it on your, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I don't know why I'm second. Why well, I don't know why I'm second guessing, but but we we pay a lot of money for performance reporting software. So I hope this is correct. So in that period of time, the U. What is that? Five weeks, five and a half, five weeks, and six weeks. Um, the the U.S. market's up twelve percent. International markets are up seventeen and a half percent. Emerging markets are up fourteen percent, and bonds are about flat, maybe slightly positive. In that really short period of time pre-election to, and here we are mid-December. So even someone with, in your example, I actually pulled a report for a client that has like a balanced portfolio. So about a 60% stock, 40% bond. So a moderate risk. And in that, this short period of time, they're up almost 9%. So even someone in not even annualized, I'm just talking about this short period of time from end of October through mid-December. So even someone with a moderately conservative, like you mentioned, you thought most appropriate portfolio for these people were like, was like a moderately conservative at about 40% stock. They're probably still up six or seven, six percent, something like that in that period of time. So, so, I think, uh, yeah, you know, I, I, yeah, I just, re- yeah, it looks like about 11 percent. Uh, yeah. The, the S&P 500 is up since since the election or like yeah. the, day, the day before the election. So I just I just think it's a good opportunity to for people to understand value that a financial professional can provide. And again, I I don't want to be too salesy, but this is like real life stuff. Here's someone that didn't have a financial professional in their life. I guess they could have called you because they, they, you know, they knew who you are and they've come to visit you afterwards. Right. And, and, but you didn't have like that ongoing relationship where they felt comfortable. Right. And your time, I guess. And so if we, and if we were managing the money, obviously we would have had more control and they they would have had to call us. Um, Right. Versus versus the alternative, yeah, right. And so, the the like the 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 point I'm trying to make is, you know, a, an average management fee to a financial professional in our industry is about a percent, right? Ours, depending, we have what's called a tiered fee schedule where um, at the high end, it's 1.05% for smaller account balances. And then, you know, people can blend it. You know, we have certain breakpoints and many of our clients blend to 0.9, 0.95, even under 0.9. So, but average fees in, in, in our industry for a financial professional are like a percent or a, to a percent and a quarter, right? So, and we're, we're kind of, I think we're kind of on the low side of average, but, um, but that, that's just a plug for 
yeah, you pay an investment professional a percent per year, but look at the mistake that this client, this person who wasn't your client at the time had made and that they thought they were timing the markets and doing something that that they thought was right and well, it felt comfortable at the time. And here they missed a six or seven or 8% upswing in a short period of time. That's a lot. They missed out on a lot more than what they would have paid a financial professional and a management fee. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's, you know, our, our value add is really helping people to not make mistakes where they can lock in losses, number one, but this example is they, they were just out of the market at, at a period of time where hope, where they shouldn't have been and they missed out on some pretty significant gains. So it can go either way. Um, but really that's our value add. I mean, of course, professional money management and access to, um, you know, what we call institutional quality portfolios. And we spend a lot of money on research and portfolio design, of course, and our, um, you know, service and financial modeling and all that stuff. And I could go on and on about all these wonderful things that we do for our clients, of course. But, but um, it, I just wanted to take an opportunity to like put that into perspective that really, you know, that, one yeah. of our biggest values is coaching people to not make these mistakes that can cost you re- in real money. Right. Yeah. It's basically, yeah. I mean, one way to look at it, and, and we, you know, we we often, we sometimes say it is that, you know, paying us that one percent is basically uh, kind of buying yourself some insurance uh, from from making some you know some big mistakes. Yeah. All right. Enough. Enough being salesy. I get uncomfortable with that stuff. But that was yeah. totally that's an opportunity to to illustrate that with with real examples and real numbers. Um. And and crazy how the markets have been. Gosh, this has been a crazy year with uh, downswings and then upswings and just and just craziness for for so many reasons. But. Um, but all in all, again, numbers are really good this year and, and people are so pleasant, have been so pleasantly surprised during review meetings and, you know, anything after like summer, late summer, <laughs> the numbers started to be really good. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's nice for people to, um, you know, to review the numbers and things are really good, even though some other aspects of people's financial life are unfortunately are not. So it's been, it's been actually really nice to you. And I know that, you know, meetings are just so much easier when the numbers are so good. And uh, it's been nice for people. It's been nice to show people those numbers and, you know, hopefully that continues. But like I said, it might not. And if you were uncomfortable before, make a plan to, um, to get yourself into something that's more comfortable for whenever that next downturn comes. But let's just talk about like what people can do. So, so there are people out there, of course, who went to cash or got super conservative at some point, you know, there, there could still be people that are still in cash from when they were nervous in February and they're like, not sure what to do. Or people that were, were nervous before the election went to cash, still have cash, what to do. And again, we're not talking about cash in the bank. We're talking about if you went to cash inside any of your investments, like your long-term investments or retirement plans that, you know, if you don't need them for, you know, five, 10, 15, 40 years, you know, what, what, do, what do you do? And, um, you know, people can, there are some people who are in this uncomfortable situation, like that person you were just referencing of, I went to cash, markets are great. What do I do? Do I get back in? They're at an all time high. Do I get back in? Are they going to go back down? You know, is this a terrible time? Um, and of course we don't know. We don't know if, you know, yes, markets, the, U, the S&P was at an all time high. Just, I think that it was just this past week on Monday or something or Tuesday. Um, and, 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 
you know, will we have another all-time high next week on Monday? You know, we don't know. It's but um, but people should come up with a plan to get the money back in, and there are different ways to do it. You don't have to go, you know, feet first back in with all your money. There are ways to do it in a little bit more of a comfortable way. That way, you know, there are people who are nervous about getting back in because what if it turns again? And that is a concern. Yes, of course. What if it turns again? What if the what if we you know we've had some pretty good news about the vaccine recently. What if we start to get bad news about the vaccine or their shortages or, you know, I don't know, I'm speculating. I don't know anything about medicine. (laughs) Uh, You know, what if there's some bad news about something or more layoffs or people aren't traveling, you know, businesses aren't reopening, whatever. Um, Guess guess what? There will always be bad bad news. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. There'll be something else, whatever. That's true. Very true. Um, So, but what people can do is if you're, if you do have a large cash position because you moved money to cash or, or just if you have a large cash position position, what if you uh, are in, uh, you know, bicycle sales and you have huge bonuses this year, uh, you know, people that, you know, <laughs> um, you know, con- consumer goods are, you know, have done quite well this year and um, stuff like that. Anyway, well, the, uh, the gym, the gym market. Yeah. If you're selling uh, home gym equipment. <laughs> yeah. Per, yeah. You're, 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 yes. You're a part owner of Peloton or something like that. And you've done quite well this year. Um, you know, there are people that have large cash balances. What do I do? And so, you know, of course we don't know, we don't can't, we, we won't pretend to predict the markets, but if you do think the markets will go down, well, if, if you're, if you're comfortable that the markets will do well from here, let's say in the next year or two or whatever, then, then get all your money back in. Because if markets do well from here, you should just get back into the market. And, and, you know, so what if you miss some of the upswing, get back in so you don't continue to miss ups, uh, the uptick if we have more in the near future. If we think that, if you think slash we think that markets will go down in the coming six to 12 months, for example, then break your investment into chunks, break it into a half or a third or a quarter and invest chunks over that period of time. That way, if you're correct and the markets do go down, some of your dollars will be invested at a lower share price than than they're priced at now. So you get the benefit of the down market if you hold on to some of your cash and invest some later, uh, some over time. The reason that you would break it into chunks though versus just waiting six to 12 months is that if you're wrong, at least you got some of your money in the market. So it's just like, you don't know. So just kind of as a hedge just to break it up into two or three chunks, throw some in now, uh, some in, in a few months and then some in a few months later. And, you know, just like put a plan, stick to the plan, (laughs) make a plan. What is it from my favorite movie? Make a plan, stick to the plan. Always deliver. Always deliver. Um, great movie, Storks. Uh, <laughs> one of the fav- my favorite movies to watch with the kids. Um, anyway, just stick to the plan so that you can take the worry out of watching the markets and trying to time them. Because that can be stressful for people to like just be watching and waiting for the perfect opportunity. Because it's just too stressful. You never know when the perfect opportunity will present itself. Yeah. Um, having said that, if we do have here in the near future, if you're sitting on cash and we do have some sort of a downturn in the market of, of a substantial amount, put the cash in, put the, put the money back in, um, you know, take advantage of it being down in value. And, and again, of course, this assumes you have a long investment time horizon. I, we obviously don't, we already talked about holding cash and having emergency cash. And if you have a, 
short time horizon, 6, 12, 24, even maybe 36 months um, for this chunk of money, I, I would not throw it in the markets, um, at least a substantial amount of it in the near future. But I'm talking about like long-term investment money, retirement chunks of money that you don't need for a period of time. And if you are in cash, come up with a plan to get it back in. Um, because, you know, as you and I know, and we talked about earlier in the show, um, just money in cash will just erode away with inflation. And most people know that. And they know that even if people have gone to cash for a short period of time, they sort of know that they should get back in. They're just not sure the specifics regarding um, how to do it. And so number one, come up with a plan. But number two, come up with an investment strategy. If you got out before you were too aggressively invested, then, then let's get you into an investment strategy that's a little bit more conservative than you had last time around. Um, because... Um, you know, for those people that panicked and went to cash, they they arguably weren't appropriately invested for their comfort level. So that, that this is an opportunity to make a change. Okay, I feel like enough on that. Um, sort of harping on that a little bit, but you know, I can be kind of passionate about that in, in markets like this and in years like this. But um, just um, I wanted to talk about. We, oh goodness, we only have a few minutes before our next break. But um, I wanted to talk about. Um, Retire. I want to talk about Roths. Okay, one of my favorite topics. Love to bring it up almost every show. I like to throw a little bit of Roth education in there at every show. <laughs> Any opportunity we can take. Um, but for example, I just had a conversation um, this past week with a, a young woman um, who was, you know, earlier in her, early in her career, accum- you know, in accumulation stage, let's say, um, and you know. Uh, we just had a conversation about, you know, getting on track for saving and, and, um, Roth IRAs and just educating her on that. And she's in a low tax bracket now. So good opportunity for someone young and, you know, not a high income earner yet. And just an opportunity to say, Hey, there's this great thing called a Roth. And yes, you don't get a tax. No, you don't get a tax deduction to shrink your taxable income this year. But if you're 30 some odd, even 40 some odd years old, and you've got 30, you know, 20, 30, 40 years in order to have that, uh, before you need that money and, you know, the, the benefits of, of tax free growth of, um, tax free earnings in a Roth is just amazing over long periods of time. So anyway, had that conversation with her. Turns out, um, the reason I'm bringing this up is because there are a lot of people out there, especially young people, um, you know, our younger generation, they like to hawk jobs more frequently than the older generations. This is a thing with the millennials and what's the generation after that? The gen, the gen, the Gen, X, Gen, Z, Gen, Gen Z, I think the millennials are Gen Y and then we have Gen Z. Um, those people change the, I shouldn't say those people that those generations on average change jobs more frequently than older generations. Um, and so what happens is people can have like these small little 401k balances from, you know, they were at a job for six to 12 months and they threw a little bit of money in there and they, people can kind of have these, uh, younger people, especially can have like these retirement plans, kind of a few of them all over the place. And they're like these small balances. And so just for example, like this young woman had, um, you know, some, some dollars in a Roth and then she had like less Less than a thousand dollars in uh, an old 401k from uh, an employer she was with for a very short period of time, and this is not uncommon, right? To have you know people have like a few rollovers or old 401ks at places in their kind of a small balance. So this was just an opportunity to say, um, first of all, this person had. Um, 
like many other people, not been employed for the full year. So her earned income this year is, first of all, she's not in a high tax bracket anyway, but also her income is lower this year than normal. Couple that with the fact that she had this small 401k balance. And we and I just was like, I have this brilliant idea. And now I'm sharing it with the world. Um, and we're going to get into talking about Roth conversions and why this was really appropriate for this person in this year and could be appropriate for other people this year, um, especially people that have these small 401k balances that we kind of want maybe just kind of clean them up and consolidate them. And this is a great opportunity to have the Roth conversion discussion, which I know you like as well, Kirk. So we do have to take a quick break because this is not something that we can do in 60 seconds. So <laughs> we're going to take a break. We're going to talk about uh, Roth conversions and how year end is a great opportunity to evaluate if, if this is a good year for you to convert some money to Roth IRAs. Um, especially if you have small old 401ks floating out there, good opportunity to do that uh, potentially. So uh, you're listening to McNamara on money. We're going to take a break. listening to McNamara on money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined this morning by my frequent co-host and partner in life, Kirk Reed. Um, We are talking about just year-end type stuff. Um, We're talking about putting 2020 behind us, putting a plan together for 2021, and um, just sort of getting your finances in order, general guidance type stuff. Um, 781-837-4900 781-837-4900 if you're listening in Marshfield and have questions for us. You can always also just email questions at McNamaraonmoney.com. We can answer those live on air whenever possible, or we can just respond to email for any sort of guidance uh, directly back to you. So thank you for listening. Happy weekend, everybody. Um, right before the break, we started to touch on what we were talking about, just reevaluating investment strategy making sure it's appropriate, et cetera. One thing I definitely wanted to touch on was Roth conversions because I think it's a good, uh, there's probably people out there that have an opportunity to do that at a lower tax rate than they may normally have. Um, So I guess let me just sort of back up a step and explain a Roth conversion. Um, and then get into this, just one example of this uh, situation. I, I was speaking to a young woman recently about that, and we proceeded with a Roth conversion for her. Um, but a Roth, so <clears throat> a Roth IRA, it, well, rewind, Kirk, rewind. Uh, 401k IRA, like traditional retirement vehicles are deductible accounts, meaning you put money in there, you receive a tax deduction in the year of contribution, you shrink your taxable income that year. Fast forward to retirement, you're going to pay taxes at that time. Most people are in a higher tax bracket while working and in a lower tax bracket while retired. So that that normal retirement account type stuff is just perfectly appropriate for many people. Um, 
Roth IRA is the opposite where you do not receive a tax deduction. You put after tax money in there, but then fast forward to retirement and it's tax free. So those are beautiful because all the growth comes back to you tax-free if you're over 59 and a half and you've had the account open for five or more years. So those are really great to start when you're young. They're really great. Like we talk to clients all the time about, you know, uh, putting money into, you know, your, your adult son or daughter is getting their first job, have them put money in a Roth. Uh, you want to put some money away for your kid when they're 18 and they have a part-time job, put money in a Roth. Those are just, those are great accounts to start when kids are young. Uh, when people are young, but even thirties and forties is great time to start Roths and get that money cooking and, and invest in, investing and, and uh, get that going for some long-term growth, not guaranteed, of course. But so this, so, so there is, so, so some people can, not everybody, but some people that aren't high income earners, uh, so they say, um, can put people can put money into a Roth IRA up to six thousand dollars per year under age fifty, seven thousand dollars per year over age fifty. But people phase out of eligibility to put money into a Roth to make a Roth contribution. Um, so, like a married couple, I think it's like if a married couple has adjusted gross income over like two hundred and five thousand bucks, they start to become ineligible for a Roth. So, higher income earners aren't able to contribute out of pocket to a Roth IRA. Of course, you know we've had shows in the past. I, I don't want to get into too much detail, but of course, some 401ks allow Roth contributions. So, um, so will will uh, people can get around those income limits? And I'm getting into Roth conversion for a moment, but we do have a caller, so we're going to go to Julie and Rockland. Good morning, Julie. Can you hear us? Good morning. I can. How are you? Oh, good. Thank you. How are you? What can we do for you? I have a question. It's regarding Social Security and spousal benefits. Um, I don't know if I qualify. I was married for 14 years and then got divorced. And my ex-husband passed away this past year. I collect my own Social Security. They got in touch with me, and I was able, my Social Security benefits were more than his at the time I retired. But my children are encouraging me because I'm an ex-wife that I could collect under some of his. And I I don't know. I've tried to call Social Security, but of course you're on the phone for a long time. And oh. I don't think it applies because I just, I don't know what the rules are. So, um, Julie, how old are you? 79. And you're, you're collecting your own Social Security right now, correct? Yes, I am. And did you say your Social Security is higher than your spouse's was? Yes, that's what they told me when I retired. They reached out to me to see how I would collect. And um, so mine So, Kirk, you're going to have to step in and help me, but oh. I believe that there is no benefit to you collecting a spousal okay. benefit because your benefit it's is higher than his was. If his was higher, then I believe you would be eligible because you had been married for more than 10 years. Correct, right. Kirk? That's what I was. That's what I was figuring. But a couple of my children said no. That they they knew of other instances, and I said, well, they were probably the spouses were probably collecting less. Right. So right. yeah, I mean, I think I think the, yeah, I think the fact that you were you were married for at least ten years, it, you know, that would qualify you. Um, uh, but, but then I uh, continued working. I mean, I went back to work, so I probably had more quarters or whatever it's called by the time I retired. 
I worked for 25 years. Okay. Yeah. But so Social Security reached out to you. They called you and asked you. What did they ask you? No, they didn't. They did. They did. Oh. When I was going to retire, I guess he was. He's older. He was older than me. So I guess when he was retiring, they reached out to me and asked me. I don't. I think they asked me if I was going to collect under his, and I had no intention of it. So I don't know what his was. I don't. I can't remember at the time. I've been retired since 2000, so I can't exactly remember the conversation. But they reached out to me and asked because he was filing his papers for Social Security. I guess to see if I had any intention of claiming under his. Okay. I believe. I I, again, I I can't call myself an expert in this regard, um, but I'm pretty sure, Julie, that because your benefit is higher than his benefit was during his lifetime, yeah. then I don't believe you're going to be entitled to any anything additional. Okay. Um, I do think it would be a different answer if his benefit was higher. You know, stereotypically, like. It, it, in many situations, the husband ben- the husband's benefit is larger uh, than the wife's or the ex-wife's. That's just still, um, you know, stereotypically, but that's still the case in many situations. But we're, whereas for you, it's it's the opposite. I don't think there's going to be any benefit. I mean, I'm, I do think it's worth a phone call. I, I really, really can't say that I'm an expert in that regard, Julie. Okay. But I'm, I, I'm at least 80% certain there's not going to be a bump in your benefit of any sort yes. uh, related to That's that. what I was figuring, too. I tried yeah. to call, and I, I just gave up being on the phone for like an hour and a half. Oh, you know, oh and my I, goodness, I heard really? the show this morning. I listened to it faithfully every Saturday, and I said, let me call because uh, a few of my children have been encouraging me, and I said, I don't think it is, and it's, you know, because they said they yeah. knew about it, you know, actually. So, Ju- Um, Julie, if you want to leave like your email address with Tim after um, he takes you off air, if you want to leave your contact information, we do, of course, have a contact in the that's an expert in Social Security. He's been on our show before. He's fantastic. He's his name is Kurt Zarnowski. He's a he's an independent consultant. If you want, I'm happy to reach out to him and get an answer for you um, in this regard. And we can email you directly if you're still having trouble getting in touch with Social Security. So if you want to leave your email address with Tim, he'll take you off air and he can grab that contact info and then I can circle back to you and and get you an answer, okay? Great, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome, Julie. Enjoy the holidays. Take care. Thank you also, thank you. Okay, all right, bye-bye. Kirk, I just, I should have confirmed with Julie after she went off air, but she said, she was 79, her husband, they were divorced, but married for 14 years, right? right. And right. he had recently passed. Um, and then, but his benefit was lower than right. hers. So we're, I'm going to confirm that with Kirk. Um, Kurt, very, very confusing. You're Kirk, he's right. Kurt with a T. Um, but yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a good question. Social security is... Um, it's it's not as complicated as it once was because they have closed some of those loopholes regarding what spouses how spouses can collect off each other's benefits. But um, it is still just a uh, wealth of information and complication there, and I'm sure they're understaffed like many other uh, agencies and companies right now. So that's unfortunate. Julie wasn't able to get that answer, but. Um, yeah, that's one that she's going to have to call or walk in because actually I don't know if you can walk in these days, but she's going to have to call because going online is not going to be helpful for her in that regard, though they do I, have a pretty good website for of information. 
Yeah, I know. I was going to suggest, yeah, calling, you know, calling the local office and making an appointment, but I don't know if she'd want, you know, know. want to go in, especially. At, yeah. At can you, yeah. can you, oh, right, right. Can you even do that these days? I, I actually I don't, don't know. know if that office is open. Um, okay. So yes, Julie, if you're still listening, we will get um, that answer to you via email. Um, Okay, so we just have like 15, yeah, we have to wrap this up because we've only got 15 minutes and I could talk about this for two hours. Um, So a Roth conversion is when you take IRA money, so, so either rollover from an old employer plan or just if you have IRA money from making an IRA contribution in your past, a deductible type contribution, you can convert that money to a Roth it is a taxable event. Every dollar that you convert is taxable to you at your income rates in the year of the conversion. There are no limits, however, to the amount you can convert or what your, or there is no limit to your income has to be below a certain amount. So it's- Any, anybody, anybody can do it. Anybody, yes, thank you. Um, so while it is taxable, because it is taxable to you, number one, you, li- you likely don't wanna do convert large balances in one tax year. For example, if you had $100,000 in an IRA, you might not want to convert that all to a Roth in one year because if you have other sources of income, especially, you know, that's going to, we have a tiered tax system in our, in our, uh, in our country. So you, that could bump you up into a tax bracket or two higher than you're normally in. So you, you likely want to do this with small balances over time, or sometimes it doesn't make sense at all to, to do Roth conversions, in my opinion, for some people. Um, but, but it's all dependent. So, but, but for example, this is a year where someone that has less taxable income than they normally do, due to unfortunate circumstances, likely. Um, Couple that with the fact that like, like I was talking about, there's just some people that have these like small 401k rollover IRA balances floating out there. This is a good opportunity to like this particular person had less than a thousand dollars in a, an old rollover and yeah, you can invest less than a thousand bucks and have that grow over time, not guaranteed, but, but you know, that's not too small amount of money to invest, but where this person had Roth IRA money already and was planning to contribute to a Roth going forward and had this tiny little, you know, 401k balance is just kind of like, Hey, this is an opportunity. Why don't you convert that balance to the Roth, combine your monies, make your life simpler. You're not paying a whole lot in taxes to do that. You already established this person isn't in a high tax bracket, number one, uh, with her normal income, but number two, didn't even have a full year's worth of income. So she could pay very little state, federal and state taxes on this um, on a small balance anyway. Um, and and be better off, in my opinion, in the long run because she's so young. So converting these balances while young and in a low tax bracket and you have a lot of time to recoup the taxes paid in the way of tax-free earnings that will come back to you. Um, I, I have to, I shouldn't say will, that will likely come back to you with investment earnings long-term. Um, um, I, I just think this is, again, a great opportunity for people to do that. So um, if you have small ba- 401k balances, um, if your your adult son or daughter do, and maybe you know this this could be an opportunity to do some consolidation, get some money into Roths, get that invested. If you're young, get that invested on the aggressive side, likely. Um, 
and have that grow for a really long period of time. That This is a great year to do that and sort of take another little silver lining that we can find potentially in 2020. Some people are going to be in a lower tax bracket um, because of lower income, maybe convert some IRA money to a Roth if possible. Talk to your financial professional, talk to your accountant. Um, know that, that uh, all dollars converted are taxable at federal and state income rates. Um, but, but a great year for people to think about, is this an opportunity for me? Yeah, or if, or if, yeah, perhaps you lost a job, uh, unfortunately, uh, and and maybe had a, you know, if you have a four hundred one k and you and you're gonna take, you know, roll it over to an IRA, uh, you could potentially, uh, you know, do the conversion as part of the as part of the rollover. Uh, yeah. But, but again, depended yeah. upon, you know, depended upon the size of the dollars and, um, you know, what your tax bracket is for the year. But uh, you know, something something to consider for uh, for for this year in particular. Yeah. And we touched on earlier on the show that, you know, when we were talking about savings and reevaluating how much your savings and if you're not hitting savings targets, bump up your employer sponsored uh, plan contribution rate. But we talked about earlier in the show how not everybody has a 401k or 403b through their employer. Some people work for small companies that don't have retirement plans available to their employees. Some people are self-employed and don't have a 401k. Um, but like, like we said earlier in, in the show, no excuses. You can make, everyone can make an IRA, some sort of an IRA contribution. Um, so, you know, this this might be a good year f- uh, under the heading of, you know, uh, on, the, on the topic of Roths, this might be a good year for people who normally make a deductible IRA contribution or a deductible SEP, SEP IRA contribution if you're self-employed. Um, if, if earnings are lower this year than normal, this might be an opportunity to make a Roth contribution if you don't normally, maybe you forego the tax break that you normally take via a deductible contribution um, because maybe you don't, the tax break isn't as necessary this year as it is in the past. Having said that, some people's cash flow is tight and, and money is tight. And so the deduction might, you know, still still be necessary for some people or desirable for some people. Um, but uh, I just think it's a great year to evaluate uh, eligibility for a Roth or converting money to a Roth or just making a straight up Roth contribution, even if you don't normally. Um, but like I said, there's income eligibility limits to making a straight up uh, IRA, I'm sorry, Roth IRA contribution. You can't be a high income earner or uh, what they call a higher income earner. Um, which is over yes. like 130 for a single and, and 205 or something for a married couple. Um, but yeah, yeah it's, it's a great year to think about Roths. Yeah, I, so I think every year is a great year to think about Roths. But. 124,000 um, okay. for a single and uh, 196,000 for a married filing jointly. Okay. Okay. Um, we've got about 10 or 11 minutes. One other topic I wanted to touch on, Kirk, I don't know if you have anything on your list of things that we absolutely need to check off when we talk about year-end stuff, um, is variable rate debt. So most common type of variable rate debt, home equity lines of credit. So this year in particular is a year where, um, you know, again, because of financial hardships, maybe people had borrowed from their home equity line uh, this year because they had to. And if you had that available to you, that's wonderful, right? Better than using a credit card, of course, in, in a year of financial hardship. Um, interest rates are really low um, on, on home equity lines and on, on home equity, uh, more you know, mortgages in general. And, um, you know, this is a year where people have 
maybe more than on average in the past taken equity from the home, used equity from the home, you know, just because of the interest rate environment and financial hardships, et cetera. Um, um, so what I wanted to what I wanted to talk about specifically regarding variable rate debt like home equity lines is just reminding people that it's important to come up with a plan to pay those balances off at some point. Mm. Those are home equity lines of credit are that very, uh, I don't know, tempting, like it's like your easygoing type debt. It's, it's low interest rate number one. You're, you know, the bill you get in the mail is just the interest. What is it for 10 years on home equity lines? You can just pay interest if you want. Right. Um, I just think it's pretty common for people to kind of just roll with it with that type of a debt and not really worry too much about paying it off because it's like, it's very chill debt, right? It's pretty easygoing and there's not a lot of pressure to pay it <laughs> it's down. A, it's, it's like, it's like the kind of debt you would invite to a party. Yeah. It's, it's the kind of debt that's going to levitate and just chilling. Right. And, and so, um, but I just think, and, and, and we probably will have low interest rates for a period of time. So I don't think people should feel a lot of pressure to pay that down this year or next year. Right. It, it's, um, you know, I, I don't think, um, you know, interest rate risk is a risk with variable rate debts like home equity lines. Um, I don't think we're going to have a, I don't think there's a lot of interest rate risk in the coming 24 or 36 months. But, but if you have, you know, $200,000 out on an equity line for whatever reason, um, or a hundred thousand dollars out or night or 50,000, I mean, whatever the balance is, if you, if you don't have a plan to pay that off, in a few years, you should. And um, I, I, be, I just, it, this is just a good reminder of that. Like you, you don't want to, you know, pull up a Google, um, I don't know, I, I would Google amortization. Uh, what, what, what would they Google? A, a debt calculator yeah. or amortization calculator and, and throw the numbers in. You know, you can find these on, there's so many websites with these little financial calculators. Throw in the amount of your debt throw in a four or 5% interest rate, uh, you know, maybe it's lower now, but build in a little bit of a buffer and play around with what your payment has to be in order to make that gone in two years, three years, five years, something like that. Let, let, let's come up with a plan where that debt's not hanging around for like 10 years. Cause you could have some interest rate risk in that regard, not to mention, do you want that debt hanging over your head for that long? You know, situationally it's, uh, you know, you might not want to. And I think, like, you know, yeah, I think um, I was going to ask you, you know, if you have kind of a general rule of thumb, but I think I know we we, we sometimes offer to people a, a kind of a, a kind of a recommended, um, you know, payoff period because, mm -hmm. you know, because when, when you do the home equity line, you know, you talked about how it, does, it is, a, you know, it's a, a variable rate and, you know, rates are great right now, but they, you know, could potentially increase over time. And so, yeah, you want to have kind of a, a time frame in mind when you when you maybe take out the debt, assuming you have you know assuming you have control over it, um, and maybe say, okay, this is debt that I plan to pay off in you know like three to five years uh, or or something like that, you know, relatively short period of time because you know the longer you let it sit there, the the better the chance that the rates have time to increase, um, and that it ends up being not as great of a uh, of a loan uh, perhaps. Uh, so I think you got to have a kind of a relatively short time frame to pay it off um, to kind of 
kind of mitigate those those interest rate uh, increases. Yeah, and and one step further on that, as as you're playing around with, excuse me, what how much do I have to pay toward this debt to make it go away in a reasonable period of time? And reasonable can be, I'm flexible with reasonable period of time. Like, you know, I would say five years or less, uh, six, maybe six years or less. If you are playing around with the numbers and you're like, I, I really, I don't know if I can pay this down in six years or less based on my free cash now and et cetera. Um, I think with interest rates being so low on fixed mortgages, it might be an opportunity for some people to wrap that up into a fixed product uh, to, 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 to fix that loan at when rates are very low. And again, it's a little bit, I want to tread very lightly here because I don't think it's appropriate for everyone to take a home equity line of credit and stretch it out for 20 or 30 years. I don't think that's appropriate for some people, but there are some situations where it might be. And, and if you're someone that really can't make this work and you have this interest rate risk and, and you don't want to, you know, carry that, that balance for too long and take that risk and where fixed loan interest rates on fixed loans are still very low. Is this an opportunity to wrap that up with a traditional mortgage? If you have one into a refi, or if you don't have a traditional mortgage to just turn that into a fixed rate loan and pay it off over a long period of time. Um, you know, that might be appropriate for some people, maybe people on the older side or in retirement or working towards retirement. And if they have a small fixed loan in retirement, whatever, you know, it's maybe that's for some people better than the pressure of trying to pay that off in five years. So um, I just think those are, that's something that people should really gut check on. Uh, if I have a relatively large balance on my equity line of credit, you know, again, maybe people are still working on becoming reemployed and stuff like that and, and, you know, becoming more stable in their life. But, you know, can you come up with a plan in the next two, three, four, five, six years to pay this down? And if not, does it make sense for me to, uh, to fix, to turn that into a fixed loan? Um, yeah, again, and again, I, um, that's not a blanket recommendation that everyone should fix a home equity line balance. Certainly not. There are certainly people that I think should whack it down, um, quicker if they have the means, but, but don't let those balances just hang and pay interest only for like years and years. And, and, you know, don't, that, that, like I said, that is like a chill debt, but, um, but it's a loosey goosey type thing, but come up with a plan to pay it down because I yeah. think it's pretty common for people to just kind of let those ride for a long time. If you have a plan to sell the piece of real estate and it's going to be paid off in a year or two or three anyway, I'm not so worried about it. But if you're staying in that home for a while, you, there should be a plan in place. Okay, Kirk, got that one? All right. Um, <laughs> okay, we just have a few minutes. I um, That was like most of the big things that I wanted to hit on. So, um, you know, again, I just, I think that um, year end and as we approach the new year and start to make resolutions and stuff like that, it's just a good opportunity for people to take a holistic um, look at their financial picture. I mean, as you and I know, we tend to meet a lot of people after the first of the year who are like getting serious about, I want to get on a good track financially. I'm not sure if I am. I want to do this and that and the other thing. Right. I, I don't want more time to pass. Like this is just a good time to, um, to reevaluate and and hopefully we gave you some things some good things to think about today if you're not saving enough bump it up if you uh if you don't have an emergency cash position 
start tucking some money away, even if you're starting slow. Um, if you're loosey-goosey on that large home equity line balance, start putting a plan in place to pay down principal. Um, if you have no idea how your money is invested, start getting an idea. <laughs> um, so, uh, or if you don't know where all your money is, start doing some research to find some statements and figure out how you're invested and making sure it matches up with you, your comfort level and your life and your time horizon and all that. So. Um, hopefully we gave some people some good things to think about today and um, to find out more about us and what we do you can go to mcnamarafinancial.com or mcnamaraonmoney.com uh, I'm Alyssa McNamara Reed I was joined today by my frequent co-host and business partner uh, Kirk Reed um, and uh, thank you so much for listening everybody I hope everyone is able to enjoy this uh, holiday season, albeit uh, unusual, of course, but you know, cherish your time with family, etc., and stay safe, everybody, and stay well. Uh, thanks for listening, and have a great weekend. Bye bye.